Hi there, and welcome to Coach to Lead, Kocharia's podcast. My name is Magda, and I'm the CEO of Kocharia. Today's episode is a special one. It's an interview that I did with Ram, Kocharia's founder, for the occasion of Ram's 10-year anniversary training other coaches. Isn't that amazing? It's happening this month. So to celebrate, we are kicking off December with a podcast a day. This one is the first of a series where you get to know Ram and his journey. And I think you'll laugh and you'll be a little bit inspired. So I definitely think you'll enjoy this episode. And then for the rest of the month, we are going to surface our favorite webinars or favorite webinars of our trainers and our community. And these are things that could be, you know, a few years old, so it may be completely new to you, but we are excited to share our archives. So if you don't subscribe to this podcast already, please click the subscribe button or the follow button or wherever you are listening button. And yeah, come back every day in December and learn something new about this wonderful world of coaching that ties us all together. Thanks for being here and on with the episode. Welcome people who are listening and or watching this lovely recording. My name is Magda and I am here with Ram. My name is Ram. <laughs> Without whom uh, this recording would not be possible because Ram is the person who discovered this whole coaching thing and started Kocharia and became a coach and has been teaching all of us about the wonderful world of coaching and things adjacent and what it can be. So first of all, thanks Ram. Welcome and thank you for having me here. <laughs> so, December, I'm not sure what date, but December this year marks your 10th anniversary of becoming a credentialed coach. Is that right? Um, well, it's the anniversary of my starting the first cohort of Kocharia. I, oh. yeah, I got credentialed in July of uh, what was it, 2012 and or 2011, whatever that year is, 10 years ahead of now. And um, we, we started the very first batch, sorry, it was 2011 when I got credentials, 2011, July, some date, mm -hmm. uh, the PCC. And then, uh, yeah, we started uh, the first cohort uh, of 24 people in a classroom uh, in the Christ University in Bangalore, pretty much all of them, not pretty much all of them, uh, many of them, at least about 12 of them, I think, they all came from one particular institute, uh, very reputed management institute in India, the Xavier Institute of uh, Management. And uh, they were all people whom I met in the National HRD Association because I figured that um, if I were to promote something being a coach, and at that time I had no idea that I would ever become a coach trainer. So the best way is to get hold of a bunch of HR guys and try and sell it to them or influence them or whatever it was, or make it known that uh, I'm a coach because, okay, I might have been, a, I was a CEO, CEO, CEOs and all that stuff. and I been a VC and all that kind of a stuff, but I was back in India and uh, I don't think that cut much ice with anybody. So I had to rebuild my credibility and stuff. So I joined Enachari and uh, things worked out. And, you know, for instance, people like Harish, um, he, he was ex Unilever. So he was running, heading the chapter of Enachari in Bangalore at that time. Um, so I joined that group and started working with him and he, he and a few others turned around and said, look, what, what you're doing and some other stuff, if you're a coach and we really would like to learn how to be a coach and if you're going to teach us how to do that, uh, if you're going to be our teacher, I said, okay, let's take a shot. 
And I visualized 25 people in a classroom, 25 registered, one dropped out, so I had 24. So that's how we started in December of 2011. And the first batch graduated in 2012, sometime six months later. So this wasn't as Kocharya yet. This was just, this was. This was at that, at that time, I didn't, I didn't have a name. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know, it was a no name institute and I had started it along with um, the people I trained with uh, mm -hmm. in Australia. So essentially they were the ones through whom uh, the certification was issued. Got it. And that continued for a while, for a couple of years, three years or something. And then 2013 was when uh, we officially, somewhere end of 2012, early 2013, we formed Kocharya, both in yeah. India. January and, and is the when US. the company was registered, 2013. So 2013, yeah. Well, we'll celebrate again in a, in a little bit. <laughs> there, there's always room for more and more celebration. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> An excuse to have a whiskey or a glass of wine, yeah? True, glass of wine is better. Or a single malt is okay. Nice. So cool. So 10 years you've been training other people to be as awesome as you. So let's talk about kind of your journey because what we wanted this celebration, this excuse for a celebration to be is to get people to know you a bit better and, you know, maybe it's going to inspire them to be a coach too. So tell us, how did you yeah. How did you get there? I think we did probably talk about it. I, I'm, I'm hoping that people may not have listened to that uh, earlier thing where I, I mean, it's not much of a secret. So every time I get a chance, I probably talk about that as well. Is that- I know. Um, yeah. Well, but this yeah. is talking to me. So I'm going to ask you maybe silly questions. And also- No, that's okay. Um, yeah. Vacation. So we are talking about, we are talking about the anniversary. So uh, it's worth saying. So, I, well, by the time I was 50, I helped build a multi-billion dollar corporation. I was sitting on top of it and there was an economic collapse in the east of uh, Southeast Asia where I worked. And so I didn't have a job, became a consultant, became a VC, all kinds of stuff. And at some point in time, none of it made any sense to me. And um, I'd always been somewhat uh, spiritual in the sense that I was a seeker trying to figure out what is the purpose and all that stuff. So it became a most serious occupation. And um, pretty much for a period of about six years or so, I went on a path where if it had gone that way, I would have probably been a monk. Um, fortunately, I didn't because um, I figured out at the end of it, uh, it took me six years to find out the guy who was guiding me, my guru, was a fake uh, hypocrite and crook and everything else. And so were most of the other people who were in the pot, 99%, probably this one person of reality out there, the rest of it as fake as Trump. So um, that realization triggered a lot in me. Fortunately, I mean, it didn't set me back in any way. It's just that uh, if I had to really find myself, I had to find it myself. The, the truth lies within me, not in any idiot who is out there trying to tell me what I should be or what I can be or whatever it is, which later I learned is really the mantra of coaching and which is what uh, we are talking about today um, in terms of creating awareness in ourselves about ourselves rather than anybody else telling us who we are. So um, just a freak kind of conversation with a old colleague of mine from Unilever. And uh, I said, why don't you be a coach? And I said, what coach? I'm not a cricket player, football player, whatever it is. And, mm -hmm. and his the thing was, oh, you, you've done a lot of things. You've been a troubleshooter and you have done this, that, whatever. You could be a coach. All the wrong reasons to be a coach. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so I figured out, yeah, if that's what it is, I Googled by that time. Yeah, Google University was pretty much out there. So, um, and it said ICF um, and, and, and one of the list of competencies was you've got to be a good listener and so on and so forth, all kind of stuff. Anyway, I was a terrible listener. And I was, was going to say, what did Nina think about that one? <laughs> exactly. And so, I mean, I've been trained not to listen and uh, fear was the key in terms of management to develop people. 
And so when I told Nina that I wanted to train to be a coach, and she said, what rubbish? I mean, you've done all kinds of stupid things before, and we just managed to get out of the nonsense that you were in for seven years. So now you want to get onto another path. There's another excuse for you. I said, no, understand, I'm very serious. And I'm also asking you for advice, which is very different. I never asked you this before. Now I realize the value of your wisdom, all the right things to say. And so she said, go and find out what it is. I said, yeah, I've already found out. I, so what is it? You have to be a good listener. She said, nonsense, you don't even listen to me. So how the hell are you going to become a coach? So anyhow, so that sort of triggered a resolve in me. I'll prove her wrong for once. So, so which is what set me off on this path of coaching, which I, 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 it was difficult, believe you me. So where we joined, I mean, those days it was, I mean, this was in Australia and then I was in India. So there were classes sometimes at one o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. And I went through 20, 125 hours of those, believe you me. And there was no video, it was just audio. And I had to just listen to the damn thing. And it's half the time at that hour, it would spin me off into sleep. And, and there were these people who were probably, I was close to 65 or something that time. I, I think if I calculate back, whatever numbers. Yeah, okay, and anyway, so, and uh, they were probably, some of them probably were one third of my age, possibly, certainly many of them were half my age. Uh, there were a few much like me who were geriatrics, but most of them were much younger and they couldn't get a damn about whether I had been whatever I was. So it was difficult in terms of uh, during a conversation to be able to get people to accept you, influence, being influenced or whatever it is. So that was a tough part of it. And then I found that listening was a better part of doing it than my talking too much. So, okay, it evolved. I mean, it's still evolving to be honest. I mean, I, uh, with my wife, I never win an argument saying, you're not even listening to me is what usually is what it is, even after 12 years of coaching. Um, so when I say, you're a coach, you're supposed to listen to me, why the hell are you do not doing it? So anyhow, that is how it started and that's how it still continues. But, but in the process, yeah, um, uh, we, we, we set up Coach Arya and we ran it for what, four or five years before you joined. So this is where we are. And we've gone through multiple transitions during this period. Uh, I, I don't think we are really, yes, we still are focused on competencies, but yeah, as we talk about it, we can discover other things. And we are far more focused on much larger aspects of what coaching can do in terms of application than pure competencies and skills and whatever it is. I think that is something we can handle much, much easier today with the way that we have developed our own, in a sense, andragogy uh, curriculums and whatever work that you have done on the learning management systems and so on. Yeah, that's where we are. It's good to be there. It is good to be there. and the future is going to be even more interesting. But today is not about Absolutely. Coach Harrigan necessarily. It's about you. So nice way to deflect to Coach Harrigan. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, yeah. but I, I will ask about coaching. Don't worry. I'll right. keep this professional-ish. <laughs> so other than proving your wife wrong, <laughs> what are some <laughs> other reasons why you think it's a good idea to become a coach? Cool. Well, Look, I mean, prove me why, why from, like, don't get me wrong. I, I, maybe in one small way, I, I managed to do that at one point in time. So proving uh, <laughs> her wrong is not a possibility, not in this lifetime anyway. So uh, I wouldn't even want to attempt that. Uh, <laughs> You're just scared because we're recording, aren't you? Uh, yes, I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm safeguarding myself, but, 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 that, but, but also happens to be the truth. <laughs> but yeah, so what, what, what else? The point is, yeah, I mean, seriously, the point is that somewhere along this, I first of all discovered that I, I really like coaching. And um, despite the fact I'm finding it extremely difficult to get myself into the mode where I could listen rather than talk. And once that sank in a bit, at least for that period when I'm in a the coaching seat and the other person and to be able to focus on that person being the complete center of my attention 
and stuff like that. And uh, that became something different. And very fortunately, during my spiritual journey, I'd also been a healer. And so a lot of work in healing is exactly that, that you are just an instrument. You are not the active element. And, and so I could get myself back into that space. And so, which is why I, even now I keep talking about, it's not just a coach, it's a coach and a healer and a leader. So all these things come together. Um, so many of these things sort of integrated. And um, so, so truly uh, it, it, it was as a powerful self-empowerment. And beyond that, it also got to a stage where it was a far more spiritual exercise for me, a meditative exercise for me, than the seven years of my spiritual journey, which was forced upon me in some senses, which of course helped me in many ways. I wrote about 30 books and I learned pretty much every possible meditative technique that's out there, all that kind of a stuff. And, uh, but now there was a possibility that uh, I could use it in a, uh, much more effective way, uh, not in terms of trying to be someone up there at a level superior to somebody and then telling them what to do. But here uh, I was able to work with them as an equal and uh, which was far more uh, a spiritual exercise and gave me far more satisfaction. So, which is why uh, every every person that who I personally work with as a trainer or coaches, uh, uh, I, I try to instill that aspect of it, that coaching is truly spiritual. It's spiritual in the sense that it's not about you. It's not about selfish needs. It's about the people around you. And which is why, I mean, we can go into more detail later, the systemic approach to coaching really, um, I'm, I'm an absolute total believer, you know that. Uh, that's mainly because spirituality is systemic. It's not about you. It's about you, but then it's about you in consonance, in resonance, in alignment with others around you and the, and the, and the universe as it were. So you almost move out of your material mind and body matter as it were into more an energy state. And, and that's the state at which truly you become a good coach, which is one of the things that we keep saying, and I think many others are copying it now. When we talk about coaching presence, the coach really needs to be absent. Only when the coach is absent, the presence is felt, the absence in terms of the ego or the personal identity. Um, so yeah, so very flattered by the fact that many others are copying that now. But uh, yeah, but that, that, that really indicates the spirituality of uh, coaching. No one can copy you, I promise. No, that's okay. I mean, I mean that's good to be copied, try. right? No, no, it, it can be copied. I mean, the more people copy you, the better it is. It's not the big. The more that attempt to copy you, Ram. You're the you're you're the OG. You're the okay. You know. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Fine. But but the point is, uh, let let me let me put it this way. There's nothing that I say which is original, which has been said before. There's nothing which is being said today which has not been said before. And most of the stuff that I talk about is something that I have learned from scriptures, be it the Vedic scriptures or the Buddhist or the Christian or Islamic or whatever it is. So I, I'm, I'm a great believer in, in the, the final integration of all kinds of religious faiths and beliefs. And when you start putting that together, everything stems from there. The, these uh, truths have been around for thousands of years. So there's absolutely nothing new. So you, you, everybody, I mean, they, they don't have to copy me. All that they have to do is to copy the scriptures or the scriptural truth. So what, what well, difference does it mean? Give yourself some credit because like one thing, one thing, one of many things that I really appreciate about you, um, you have this amazing talent of synthesizing all this stuff. So you can say things like, oh, no one, I'm not saying anything original. But you really are, because the way that you put these ideas together, all of a sudden they make sense to those of us who are listening to you. Um, for example, uh, can you talk about the whole, the root of the word um, Isa? I remember you telling me about yeah, that. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you with a, with a, with a specific anecdote. Um, 
it's a yeah. beautiful, I mean, what you asked me resonates with what I was about to come to. Uh, I was looking for a, uh, let's say, uh, entry point. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it was Nina's birthday last week, and we, we went to the holy city of Amritsar. It's a, it's a holy city of the Sikhs. Um, we have been wanting to go there for a long time. It's called the Golden Temple. And uh, uh, people had talked about it. I've been many times to this area, Punjab, but I've never been to this particular place and and we absolutely loved it. For two reasons. One, we stayed at a Taj, which we love, and we talked about the Taj and the Tajness and the culture and everything in a previous webinar uh, with uh, the Taj guys, actually. And this Golden Temple, it's amazing. I mean, it, it's a gold-plated, uh, all that kind of a stick's fine. Uh, totally, absolutely clean. And the shocking part of it was uh, there was no social distancing, nothing of that sort in these COVID days. And then as we got into queue, we had someone to help us. Fortunately, uh, you know the person, and it's one of our learners so, who, whose father put some strings and got someone to help me, help us to get a little faster into the queue. Little VIP and, treatment. Sorry? <laughs> little VIP treatment. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but but the thing is, I don't want to say, I, I mean, it's also not fully true because uh, there everybody is equal. There, there's absolutely no difference. Oh, I'm just teasing. Yeah, you don't, you but, don't but, but, but I'm <laughs> saying is they, they did help me sort of ease it a little bit because let me say that uh, we were senior citizens and they gave us some respect because they were senior citizens. Let, let me put it that. Anyhow, we went into the main sanctum, as it were, uh, after standing in the queue for about 15 odd minutes or so. And they said, you take off your mask because uh, later we were told that because of security reasons. But as, we, as soon as we entered the central space where in the Sikh religion, it's, uh, there's no idol, there is no concept of a God or anything. It's a Guru Granth Sahib, which is the book uh, of prayers, as it were. It's like the equivalent to the Bible or the Vedas or the Quran or whatever. And there are people who are reciting the verses from there uh, in a musical form. And people sort of stand around and pay their obeisance. Um, the most wonderful thing for both of us, Nina and I, we later compared notes. Uh, it was as if we were just alone in that space. There was nobody else around it. There was total silence. There was total peace. Um, it was an amazing feeling with literally about a hundred or 200 people in a very small room, which wasn't very big. And the guy who he said, sit down for a while, it's, it's okay, despite the queue. We, weren't, we were not sure, but uh, he got us to sit down in the corner and just closed my eyes. Five minutes completely lost myself. The only other place where I felt that was, if you heard me talk about it, in the ashram of Ramana in the Samadhi in front of his Thiruvannamalai where uh, so I completely lose myself. Here, there were far too many people. I couldn't stay for as long. But it was amazingly, amazingly wonderful feeling. And pretty much everybody who I have talked to later, who had an ounce of that kind of spirituality in them, they said exactly the same thing happened to them. Uh, so it's not just to ourselves, but just to everybody else. And the place was so clean that, uh, of course, we had to be barefoot uh, throughout. You just you have to tie something on your head in this case. And uh, later when we came back and I was taking a shower, I looked at my feet, soles of my feet, and there was not even a bit of dirt there. I mean, if I had done that in any other place of worship, barefoot, wherever, it would have been black with suit or whatever it is. But it, there's something remarkable about that place. So, okay, coming back to the, the, the Isa, what we felt there, right through. And so anyway, this, this guy who, who was also fairly elderly, he, he was a guy who was taking us around and he said, what else do you want to do? He asked me in actually Punjabi, I, not that I speak Punjabi, but I can understand the language in Hindi. So I said to him, oh, the only other thing that I really want to do, my, you know, started smirking. He said, I, I, there's something called the langar, which is a free food that they serve. In every Sikh temple, the Gurdwara, anywhere in the world, they serve free food. That's a concept of service. And it's one of the most amazing religions where the main point is about serving other people. 
So I was ashamed that so I said, look, I want to have that food uh, because that's been on my bucket list. So we went there, the most difficult part of it for me to sit down and they serve a 24 by seven, literally to several 10,000 people in a day. And, and actually we didn't realize it first when we booked, but a couple of days later was a good Nanak's birthday. So it, it was going to be a fantastic auspicious event. Um, it, 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 it was an amazing experience. So what was really happening there was the energy. And that was what connecting all these people, whoever came there. And I have never experienced it in any of the, uh, even in whether it's Western churches or anything, or Indian temples, certainly not, um, where when there were crowds, each one would be jostling, trying to get first somewhere, whatever here. There was so much of respect for one another. And uh, they were all very caring about one another, even though nobody knew each other. And the same way, literally in that huge hall, there were about 700, 800 people sitting out there and they were serving and then kept on moving. And coming back to this word that you use, the word Isa is probably of the oldest Upanishads, which are amongst the oldest scriptures in the world, which are part of the Veda. It, the Upanishad is called the Isa Vasya Upanishad. And the opening verse is Isa Vasya Midam Savam, which actually means that everything in this universe is Isa. I mean, there are many ways the word Isa can be translated. In Sanskrit, uh, there are multiple meanings. People usually, tend to translate it, the word Isa can mean a leader. It can, therefore, they say it's God. But really, when I went deeper into it, there is a meaning, the word just means energy. It's a formless being. It's not a form leader. And so it's, it's almost like the theory of relativity, that what they said 5,000 years ago, that whatever that you see as matter is really energy. And which is not very different from what Einstein said later. And the word Isa, then in some way, it had morphed or whatever happened. That is a word which is a root word for Yesu, which became Jesus in Hebrew. So the whole continuity started there. So it's, it's amazing how this whole concept can be Put together the integration of how various religions view various things and we see them as so separate and you we allow them to separate us in so which if you can start looking at it in much more simple ways like a child would we can synthesize and be integrated at the end of it see everything as energy if let's say islam believes that god is formless so it is absolutely there's no question about it by the same time, if a Hindu believes that uh, this is how I see it, what he or we, I, as a Hindu, we see is a metaphor. Because it's much more difficult to imagine and visualize uh, a formless uh, thing. As a Christian, you look at it as a cross or something else or whatever else it is. Um, even though the devout Muslims say all that, they still turn towards the huge Kaaba that they venerate, and there, there is, there's a representation. Uh, they may not want to call it an idol. Uh, here you have the holy book in the Sikh religion, which is out there, which is some representation. Because we as human beings, we like to be sensory. We like to see it in, with one of our sense with one of our senses. And in the Hindu religions, you put it together as multiple idols or whatever forms and like simple thing buddha said that don't ever worship me worship the tree under which i'm sitting the bodhi tree so every time i see a buddhist temple where the huge statue of buddha many of them made in gold i literally see buddha revolving around in a coffin so so He's not at peace. Praying over his grave, so to speak. <laughs> he, he never wanted to be worshipped, poor man. And he's being worshipped. So he's being tormented 
by these people. Um, the point is ultimately, we need to look at all this as energy. And one of the oldest Vedic scriptures say, there's one truth, but there are many pathways to it. And that one truth is always formless. It's unreachable, it's asymptotic. It's out there as an infinity. And I'm coming back into it, reading your closure, and that is how you, you know Prashant, when I was talking to him about all this and asked him to uh, create a logo of his thing. So what are you talking about here? So I said, look, what we are trying to provide the word Kocharya stands as a amalgam of coach and in Sanskrit, Acharya, which is what I equate to the coach is one who walks by you as kind of a coach or a mentor. And what we are trying to say really is that uh, if you really want to know yourself and you have to move away from the mind and body matter into the Aja energy space, and that energy space is completely infinite and the mind and body has to reduce to zero. So the zero equals infinity. And it's again, not very original because it's part of the Zen doctrine. And so he drew this, um, and in Zen, uh, Zen there is this thing called Enzo Circle, which is really about the emptiness or the, what is called the Sunya concept of Buddhism. So that is when he made this zero sitting on top of an infinity, which is like a yogi meditating. So when your mind and body become zero, then your spirit becomes infinite, your energy becomes infinite. So, I mean, this is a synthesis which happens and we can, we can take anything. And, I mean, yeah, as you know that I can keep talking about it forever and ever. <laughs> Let me stop. It's, it's why I ask, but I keep saying it's not original. I think it's pretty original at least the way that you synthesize it. And you know what else is cool? You talked about spirituality, but you threw in a little bit of Einstein. And what's really cool too, that I appreciate about you is how you bring in quantum science into conversations randomly. It's not that you are you know, just spiritual in the sense of here's how these religions potentially interpreted things and how it all kind of is connected, but you also are able to bring in uh, yeah, like I said, science, uh, psychology, leadership. I mean, it's it's kind of cool that you can take things that some people can see as, you know, opposite ends of a spectrum. But when you talk about it, it just all makes sense and it all relates to each other. So that's pretty neat. Good job. Yeah. yeah thanks. I mean, look. <laughs> For me, I'm, I'm, I'm being absolutely honest. It's, I, I, it's, for me, it's very simple. I, I'm trained as an engineer. Um, uh, I, I'm deeply interested in whether it's psychology or quantum science or whatever. It's not even science, neurobiology, everything. It excites me in terms of just the knowledge, in terms of the learning, it excites me. And the more I learn about them, there is always something relating the ancient wisdom to modern science. And Einstein is just one part of it. And if you really, uh, people who want to go deeper into it, uh, they have to listen to David Baum, uh, who, who was, uh, for whom Einstein was a mentor, and his conversations with J. Krishnamurti, the great philosopher, it's, it's amazing. I mean, very often I have felt that, and I hear David Baum saying that in one of his things was uh, remarkable for me. He says, you know, there are many times that I feel that when I'm sitting there and I, I'm not just stationary as a particle, but I'm actually a wave, I'm going all over the place. And that's something genuinely happens to me. And I, I think it happens to many people as well, but they don't then relate to the fact that dichotomy as it were happens because we all at the fundamental space of our atoms and subatomic levels and whatever it is, we are actually energy, we are actually quantum waves. We are not uh, uh, necessarily just fixed particles, which is where uh, that uh, the, the great uh, philosophy uh, in, or the theory in quantum science in terms of uh, uncertainty and so on, that um, you, you can either know about the location of a particle uh, you then you don't know about the speed or whatever it is. So 
it's either when you try and fix it, it can either be a particle or it can be a wave. It cannot be both together at the same point in time, but it can morph from one to another constantly. The same way, and if you look at the Vedas, which we do teach in Kocharya uh, now, is that many of these things that today neurobiology teaches us in terms of the way that the mind works, which have all been known only in the last about maybe 50 years, not even 100 years, or maybe 120 years, if you really take Freud and Jung and all these people, but pretty much all they were there. The four states of awareness that we talk about, the conscious, subconscious, unconscious, and so on and so forth, or the way the mind is divided into memory part and uh, um, the ego and the cognitive part and all that kind of a stuff. So everything is there. And uh, it's it just a matter of putting them together for us to understand that, yes, there is a spiritual component to it and there is a scientific component to it. And they are not saying different things. They are saying the same thing. So how do you get them together as an application, as a means to an end, as it were? Yeah, so maybe, I mean, because of the way that I've trained myself, maybe it's a bit easier for me to uh, recognize those patterns. And that's all basically what I'm doing. Uh, it's not even so much synthesizing. I'm recognizing the patterns that sort of come up uh, in front of me. And yeah, maybe I'm making more sense of it to other people as well. You're making a ton of sense. But what drives you to keep learning? I don't know. If I don't learn, I probably start dying, right? That, 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 that's the only way that I look at it. There's, there's no other way. Um, and you, you, either you keep moving, uh, you don't stay where you are, you keep moving backwards. So you, you keep moving forward as it is, something of that sort. So uh, the learning becomes, there's just no effort to it. Uh, as far as once you train yourself to do that, once you start looking at it in that space, and, which also involves a lot of self-reflection. Uh, you, you need to be more aware of yourself, what's going on, and also need to realize that you are never going to be perfect. You are never perfect. And how much I try to become a better listener, I would never be a good enough listener as far as my wife is concerned, or some of the people. <laughs> so, so all those kind of things. It, it, you're, you're always, what is it? A work in process? Work in progress, yeah. Yeah, a work in progress, work in process, work in whatever it is. Yeah. So learning is a part of that. I, I, think, uh, I think that's the way that we are designed. And, and which is where it makes a lot of sense to me and because there is no end. Death is not an end. And therefore, that's, that's another gateway that you go on and you go into another learning journey. So each one of them is a is a hero's journey, which uh, probably ends some point, and then that end becomes a beginning for something else. So in a strange way, and it just occurs to me at this point in time. So that is why I probably, uh, I have never feared death for whatever reason, uh, even from a very young age. Uh, maybe it was very intuitive, felt that, uh, yeah, what the heck, what's going to happen? Maybe I don't know, it doesn't matter. So learning is about, again, if I try to link to that, is not being afraid not to know or not know enough. It's only when you think that you know something that you have to prove to some other people that this is what I know. But when I know that I don't know a damn and I'm constantly learning, so what's the big deal anyway? I don't have to pretend. I know what I know, and I know there is so much that I do not know. So what difference does it make anyway? Who is to judge me? I don't judge myself. I don't let other people judge me. So that becomes very risky for many people. And that's one of the reasons sometimes I scare people. They think I'm being arrogant. I'm not because it doesn't matter to me. It, it, it really, it, it matters to me in one sense. I, 
I would never want to hurt anybody. And that's extremely important and extremely important uh, as a coach. And that is what we believe in the Carl Ruggerian kind of concept of centricity and unconditional positive regard. But that doesn't mean that we need to prove ourselves to be superior to somebody because we know more. We don't. Constantly, every time I work with a group of people, I'm constantly learning. And I tell them they don't believe me, but that's the truth. As I keep working with them, I start learning more about myself. I start learning more about the subject that I'm talking about. So many of the things that we are evolving even in Pocharya in terms of the curriculum and the syllabus are because of those learnings which happen uh, each time. So which is why it's like the river, the point that you touch is never the same. Uh, I mean, we talked about at one point in time. I don't care a damn if people copy our content. So what? It's not going to be the same. Tomorrow, it's going to be different. So it's constantly evolving, constantly growing, depending upon what the situation demands. So, so we are. Yeah, I don't think you're scary, but I, you know, I now that I just say it, <laughs> I remember when I went to Bangalore and we did that uh, create your future um, seminar workshop, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I remember there was uh, somebody who talked about wanting to be, uh, I always said they wanted to be a guru, but they said they wanted followers. And <laughs> you said, that's rubbish. <laughs> and, and you talked about, you know, like, and you sat down, you made us all sit on the floor. And I just thought it was so lovely. I was like, yeah, this is, this is the kind of person, as in you, uh, that I appreciate being with because I, I feel like, you know, I, I have so much less knowledge and experience than you, but I don't feel intimidated. I feel I feel welcomed by you, and I feel like you inspire me to learn. And your approach, this kind of I don't know, this inclusiveness that you um, exude because of how you are, it's uplifting to the rest of us. Yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't I don't even remember that incident, but I'm I'm I, I'm sure it don't happen. But but Manda, look at it this way. If you remember when we started interacting, what was it, five years, six years, whatever number of years ago it was it. And I still remember very often you used to tell me, what nonsense, all this that you are saying, none of it is likely to happen. None of this is feasible. <laughs> you are not even being uh, practical. Yep. So I said, fine, it's okay. Uh, it's not an agenda. Yeah, it doesn't have to happen now. But then today you are probably much more of, uh, in a sense, a believer in that, that if you visualize something and you say that very often that, uh, that yeah, you visualize it's going to happen. And it, it's, it's exactly true because if you can create it in your mind, that will manifest that going to happen somewhere. So if you strongly believe in that. And that is why we have grown. And we, we, we had this talk many times. Uh, when I said, we, we don't have a budget, you said, no, we have a budget. Yeah, sure. But we are not obsessed about it. It's a direction. We need to reach somewhere. And yeah. if you do that, that's fine. If you don't, if the journey has to be enjoyable. The destination will happen by itself. I mean, Again, it's not my statement. Buddha said it, the Vedas say it. All of them say the same thing. So once you truly believe in something, and this is where we should go, and that is what leads us back into, okay, me coming into Kocharya, and not only just me, every one of us, you, I, many of the people who are in our community today coming together is just that belief and the faith that we are here to do something different. We don't know whether it's going to be better or not. But which is why someone like Otto Sharma, when he talks about theory U, about the closed mind, closed heart, and the closed will, moving from there into the open mind, open heart, and open will, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful representation of the awakening of the spirituality within us that that, that needs to happen to us. And once we allow it to happen, then the rest of it, my mind follows. That's about all. And then that leads to this concept of mindlessness that I 
created as just as a kind of a, you know, putting my middle finger up kind of a stuff to people who talked about mindfulness, which I thought was rubbish, which I still think is rubbish, because Buddha never spoke about mindfulness. Everybody thinks that it's a Buddhist practice. It's not. Zen talks about no mind or mindlessness. Anybody who knows anything about Buddhism would recognize it. And the mindlessness is not idiocy. It's not being a moron, but just not being obsessed with thoughts and just being disengaged. If it has to happen, it has to happen. You are just disengaged from it. So you are able to see it in a much more objective fashion. And that is what mindlessness is about. So, and that is what the Upanishads, the, the scriptures say, is the ultimate state of awareness that we need to reach. We can never reach a state where we are not thinking. It's impossible as long as we are in mind and body. So, um, so all, all these concepts come together uh, in, in terms of what we are uh, putting to. I'm not quite sure where we started. But this is this is where I usually end. I, I guess in That's terms okay. of mindlessness. Yeah. Doesn't matter where we started. It's just a journey, right? Yeah, it's a journey. Enjoying it, and we're we're energy. That's all we are. Very true. That is it. <laughs> well, where we started was this is an excuse for a celebration of you. Yeah. And of us and of all the great things that we've done together and we'll do together. So thank you, Ram. Well, I... it's not a celebration of uh, celebration <laughs> of me, certainly not, because it's got, I, I, I truly believe that what we are building is an institution which perhaps I'm a part of it. I've perhaps. I initiated, okay. that is yes, okay. But, but it's, it's something far larger. It's, it's not, uh, that's, that's, that's not what we are looking at. Uh, it's a mean, I'm a means to an end, and that's not even an end. It is going to be a constant series of beginnings and ends. So yeah, let us celebrate that rather than... Sure. But, 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 but every, everything is a good excuse. No, no. A everything bit. is a good excuse for a celebration. Yes. So this is okay. as good an excuse. So we can celebrate it with a glass of wine or a single malt okay. or cakes or whatever that you want to celebrate. Okay. I, I'm okay with that. Deal. We'll, we'll agree to agree on this one, this yeah. one time. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. No, no, we all agree at the end. It, it never has been a point we have not agreed at the end. We may start with different divergent points of view, but <laughs> we always come together as an agreement. I, I don't think there has been a single situation where we haven't agreed at the end. No, we work really well together. High yeah. five. Absolutely. Don't leave me hanging. High five. <laughs> High five. <laughs> Ram, thank you so much. I'm sure that everyone who is listening and watching has gotten something awesome out of this. And um, I mean, I did, I do every time I talk to you and I'm very happy that we get to have this conversation, just you and me, because it's lovely to see you, you know, smiling and, and just talking about you because not everyone gets to see that side of you. And I think it's super cool. And um, it makes me smile. Like literally my cheeks are hurting because you're pretty cool. So thanks for being you. Thank you. And thanks for maybe, if you, if you don't want to be the center, um, maybe you can be the, the glue. I don't know, you think of a good metaphor for you that you're comfortable with. No, the, the guru is the worst term that- Not guru, glue, glue, glue. Glue, yeah. Glue, yeah, <laughs> not <maybe>. guru. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whatever, the binding force or whatever it is, the binding energy yeah. or whatever, the catalyst. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't we'll matter. Think of a good one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find something. That's okay. We'll find something. So Ram, we're going to end with, what are you learning now since you're always learning? That's that's a that, that's actually a I mean it's at one level it's a very simple question. As you ask me this question, what am I learning now? The simplest answer that comes to me is that I'm a lot less than what people think I am, to be honest. And at the same time, the concepts 
whatever we as a whole, as a group are working together, are far more important than we realize how important they are. And they have the power to literally change the world if you apply it properly. And so what's really needed is, it just needed a small group of people. That's what this great man, Swami Vivekananda, one of the greatest uh, reasonable, they call him a saint. He was, he was a very practical person, actually. And he said, give me just a dozen people. And like Aristotle said, give me a leave. Archimedes said, give me a lever. I can move the world. Vivekananda said, give me 12 people and I can change the world. And that is true. If we believe strongly enough, and each of us espouse that cause and willing to pretty much give up our lives for it, if it's needed, um, we can surely change the world. So the learning for me, as you asked me the question, if I, as I keep talking about it is, and it may seem a bit weird, but I'm quite happy to be able to give up my life if there could be a really good shift in this world. Uh, that's about the most genuine thing I can say at this point in time. Because I, I believe that uh, whatever I needed to achieve, uh, I have achieved. Uh, after that, yeah, whatever more there is, yeah, sure. I'll continue to do that. But the point is, if there is a large enough cost which demands something more, I think that'll be great too. So, yeah, I, I, I don't mean to have a sort of somber, solemn note, whatever it is, but genuinely, that, that's what comes up for me as I think about what you asked. It's all we wanted. But you give up everything. No, just kidding. And then to a single malt and the wine. So <laughs> what's life without that? Bring it back to a little bit lighter. <laughs> right. yeah. Thank you so much, Ram. This was lovely and Congrats on the this 10-year anniversary. Yeah. We'll celebrate another 10-year one next year and many more milestones to come. Every year is a 10th year or more. Exactly. Well, we'll find excuses. <laughs> okay, Thank those. you, Ram. Thank you.